Hello, welcome to a View from the Side podcast with me, your host, Rosie Clement Henry. On this podcast, we're going to look at art in Wales. I'll be interviewing established artists on their careers to recent graduates, as well as art historians and curators on the artists and issues that matter most to them. In this difficult time, I want this podcast to inspire and uplift those who are passionate about the arts, and specifically to give a platform to our experiences in Wales. Today I'm going to be interviewing Carol M. Hopkins about her grandfather's photography, Louis Morgan, and her mother, Elizabeth Hopkins' paintings, as well as the cultural activities and the political nature of the valleys in which Joseph Herman would settle. Carol M. Hopkins is one of the founders and trustees of the Joseph Herman Art Foundation, a fantastic organisation which promotes an appreciation of his life and work, and through his story has successfully helped human rights issues. Carol has also lived in New York, paints herself and has worked for the National Theatre and has written a book on her grandfather called Phil Circle. Before we delve into Joseph Herman's story when he arrived in Ostra Gunlice in 1944, let's begin with understanding the culture of the valley which would be so influential to his life and work and would make him one of Britain's most prominent post-war artists. Hi Carol, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for coming on today. So your grandfather, Louis Morgan, was instrumental to creating the milieu for which an artist emigre such as Joseph would take to. Could you tell us more about Lou, where he was born, what his parents did and when was the first time he picked up a camera? Well his parents were king and country, um, rather landowners and uh, sort of although all the boys, all his brothers were colliers, miners, his father was a miner. Um, but they had a huge small holding, so his love of nature started there. It was when he was 10 years old, he had a scholarship to the local grammar school, the county grammar school, and his grandmother gave him a little brownie box camera, and that started his lifelong passion. Wow. Uh, so uh, he didn't stay in school too long. At 14, he was determined to follow his father down the mines. It was considered, um, well, it was a, it was a, not a calling but it was part of the community everybody was a minor collier there Mm. but he had two near-death experiences underground Uh, 17 he was a a electrician he had a very bad experience there which nearly lost his arm Mm. so his father was determined to take him out and made him try the Cambridge Oxford exam for university entrance Mm -hmm. which he won and University, where he actually studied physics and, and mathematics. So he had a science bent as well. And when he came home and started teaching, uh, he was very left wing and got involved with the starting the first Swansea Valley ILP. That was the Independent Labour Party. Mm-hmm. And that was left of labour, really. And he started that with, with like minded people. And they built up to about 200 members. And Keir wow. Hardy came to speak. Keir Hardy was then MP for Merthyr Tydville. Mm. So, but it was the whole atmosphere in the house um, that I grew up in and my mother obviously grew up in. Uh, it was, I wouldn't say artistic, it, it was just a cultural, rich environment. There were books everywhere. There was sculpture, there were paintings on the wall. I mean, he was earning five pounds a week as a teacher, as opposed to two pound for the collier, um, although they got free coal. But um, (laughs) so 
but he had prodigious energy, enthusiasm, and optimism. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he, he was overseer for the poor. He joined the parish council. He became a fellow of the Royal Horticultural Society. He started an angling club in Astragunas, the camera club. Yeah. Um, he ran a wireless club as well. So it was, it was because the, the miners worked so hard and it was such a dangerous and difficult job that they're out of, out of hours. They just wanted to learn the need to learn and to expand their knowledge was huge. Um, yeah. And when the welfare hall opened, the miners welfare hall opened in 35, they had a reading room and everybody was hungry. Mm. for more knowledge and to widen their opportunities really um, beyond their hard working day which was their day yes yes and during the war he became uh, he worked for the ministry of agriculture so he traveled all over wales he would make um, this was advising people on how to be self-sufficient really because food was short and uh, keeping rabbits and keeping chickens was vital really so he would make models of the innards of rabbits and the diseases they had. Then he'd photograph it. Then he'd make slides. And he'd take these all over Wales mm. after school. He'd travel as far as Machantleth and Wrexham. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of miles in an evening. <laughs> give lectures. On those old bumpy roads, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. And come back and not go to bed. Just go to the dark room and produce more prints. Mm. Um I find that fascinating about promoting the self-sufficiency of food as well and showing how it's a safe way to eat it because it's mm. taken for granted now. It's going to happen again. You know, people yeah. are going to have to start <laughs> digging their own. We've all, uh, <laughs> we've all gardens, started gardening. <laughs> yes, and um, rip up their patios and their decking and start all over again. Mm -hmm. But um, yes, that was the atmosphere my mother Elizabeth grew up with and it was such a tight-knit community. And I think when Joseph arrived in 1944, he recognized that um, feeling that he probably had as a child growing up mm. in the streets of Warsaw, the ghetto, um, that the community was close. And there were also a homogenous society. It wasn't, I mean, the, the doctor was important, the teacher, uh, the policeman, but other than that, everybody was the same. Nobody had more than anyone else. And if they did have more, then they shared yeah. um, everything. And I think Joseph felt immediately at home and he was taken into their hearts and homes and called Joe Bach after a few weeks. Exactly. He, um, no, he, he just, he, he, the, the security and the comfort mm. he felt was there. It's really nice. Everyone sort of recognises you in a friendly way. and Yes. Who um, introduced Joseph to Ostrogunlice? Oh, that was Di Alexander, who was a friend of my grandfather's. He and his wife, Peg. Di Alexander met him in Brecon. Joseph's wife, Catriona, was then pregnant, so they got away from London. And even Brecon was busy because the army was there. And wow, of Joseph said it was like Piccadilly. <laughs> <laughs> so um Di Alexander come to Astragandas he said the war isn't happening there oh, and they mm. came to stay with Peg and Dave and it's in that house that he, he built a studio then later on uh later in the 40s he built a studio mm. uh where he and Catriona lived my grandfather there was 
met him very early on through through Dialic and, and Peg and took him. He was very interested in getting underground with the colliers and the miners to see them working. And so Clow took him down, I think it was Anskedwin Colliery. Clow photographed him there working, sketching. It's a beautiful photograph mm. of Joseph sketching underground. And uh, unfortunately, um, it was very sad that Catriona lost the baby and her mother came down from the Isle of Skye. She was a MacLeod from the Isle of Skye and her mother drove down, I think it was in a chauffeur-driven Rolls Royce, all the way from Skye to Westergunless. <laughs> wow. And um, that, that, yes, the baby was lost, so that yeah. was very sad. That's, but, that's um, horrible. Yeah, on Thursday nights, it was, I think Joseph... He either joined or he would attend the camera club that happened in the welfare hall. And he gave a lecture there, which my mother said was awesome, really. It went on for two hours. He brought a painting of his, mm. of a cockerel. And he just talked about this painting and the process and the creative energy that goes into painting. And uh, he was very interested in photography because he thought, well, as, as Slough did, that the photographers and artists look at the same for the same elements in a good photograph mm. obviously is composition and there's light and dark and texture and tone mm. um, so they were very much in sympathy then and after the camera club meetings they'd all come over to my grandmother's house mm. and talk politics basically mm. around the table yeah um, my grandfather taken photographs of joe's work as he worked and those would be sent off to London and often people would come down from London I know Dr Roland came down from Joe's gallery Roland Browse and Del Banco and uh, Leo Koenig came down he was a writer um, David Martin came he was the writer of Tiger Bay mm. But they were all very highly politically charged. Yeah, so it became times. a good meeting point for all those who felt. Yes. Also, there were Jenkin Evans, who was, besides being the local dentist, <laughs> he was a superb sculptor. Wow. His, uh, <laughs> kind of lends his, itself, maybe. Yes, it does. Of course it does. <laughs> and his brother, Vincent, became an RA. He was a painter. Uh, <laughs> so they were there and... David Martin had been out in the Spanish Civil War in the 30s, late 30s, supporting those that were against fascism. So meeting Joe was obviously important to him. And he, I think he cajoled Joe a bit, saying, why weren't you there, you know? But Joseph was fighting more extreme, um, well, as extreme difficulties in, in the ghetto, the way they were treated. When the politics got to a higher note, my grandmother would come in with a with a casserole and they'd all calm down <laughs> and, and eat. But looking at my grandmother's diaries, mm. it was it was just the most wonderful life. Yes, there was poverty, yeah. but there was so much. Uh, everybody walked at night. Mm. You know, after school, my mother would go out walking for two or three hours yeah. you know, after homework was done. And Joseph loved walking. He'd finish work at four o'clock in the afternoon, walk around to my grandmother's beautiful teas and mm -hmm. pastry cakes. Mm -hmm. um, and then he'd go off with Clow walking around the hills. Yeah, and it's interesting how they describe in Brecon as Piccadilly and then in Ustergunlice the war's not happening almost. And 
you mentioned before how Lou and Joseph talked about the benefits of it being an isolated place, which is interesting during our current climate. Yes, it was the, um, I think he said it was the strange attraction of isolated places, mm. because although the village is very compact, you can soon, you know, within minutes, you can be out on the hills, mm. which are very bare and isolated. And and that was the interest in Astragalus to me, was that there was the mining and the mines around Astragalus, there were about five or seven of them, working mines, but then a few minutes out you could be on the hills mm. and the farming community were there mm. so it was those two factions that were so interesting especially to Theo because he loved nature and he'd often be out on the hills you know at any hour of the day just just waiting for a bird to come out of its nest <laughs> he was once let down on a rope uh, on a cliff face uh, waiting for this bird to come back to its nest <laughs> wow. his friend had come off night shift so he was a bit tired and he he lay down to sleep uh, it was a hot summer day and um, of course woke up in the dark so <laughs> had been sitting on this rope for hours and hours <laughs> and he was pulled up you know the air was full of of um blue notes let's say <laughs> <laughs> but he would he would do anything for the right right shot but he, he was like like though Cleo and Joe, they were both looking for, interested in what people did and mm. why they did it. You know, it was the, the crafts and, the, and the, the labor of people, what they did with their day. And yeah. that's why Joe said that Cleo was a, a documentary photogra- a photographer, really. There was mm. always a story there. Yeah, there, there's a really strong tradition of social documentary photography in South Wales around that time. Yes. Um, and you can see that it's interesting having that crossover between Clo and Joseph. Like you said, they're both looking at similar qualities to represent a subject matter with strong lines, contrast of light, composition. And with Joseph achieving that through painterly forms and getting both of them get into the humanity in the individuals that they depicted. Yes. Um, yeah, which is important for both of them. And the, the colours that Joe uses to express this are, are really interesting. And it seems though with the, the paintings of that time of the miners, they're all, it's like the individuals and the strength that they had. But there's also almost like a collective aura, which speaks to sort of the collective community and maybe the socialist ideals prominent in the valleys at the time. Yes, he said about his colours when he was stuck for a colour in a painting that he look at his black and white drawings mm. because he said the color was in in the drawings you know yeah. it's like when you watch black and white movies I think mm. they, they're far more interesting because they they depend on on light and the mm. source of light mm. and the dramas there and um you know you can imagine what a woman's dress is colored in <laughs> It's up to you and the imagination works harder, doesn't it? Yeah, that's really true. And from the sketch, you really um, placed out what are the dark tones and then you can mm. play you want with yes. that. Mm. But I think they were both what I, I, I might call intuitive expressionists because they, they had an immediate reaction. You know, when we were out in the car, Claire would say, stop, stop. Uh, you'd see a cloud passing over at the right spot for the hill to be lit in a certain way and that would be it 
Mm. And it's that immediate insight and understanding um, without reasoning, really. It's mm. an intuitive, more emotional feeling. And I think the same was with Joseph. As my first painting I bought with him, a first drawing I bought from him is of a collier um, having lunch, I think. And his the weight of his body is, you know, is incredible. You can feel the tiredness in the way his legs are positioned as he sits on the floor. And uh, that's very emotional. It's like having an insight, isn't it? It's like yeah. Gerald Manley Hopkins' poems talking about the insight and the instress and the inscape of just understanding intuitively that uh, thing that makes things tick. Mm. So, yes, they shared that. Um, there's a one painting of Joseph's, I think it was an early one, of refugees. Mm. And it's very like, well, it's not very like, but it, it reminds me of Chagall, who he admired. The colours are there, the sort of pale blues and the pinks. But there's a very threatening cat on the roof uh, with a rat in its mouth. Mm. And, and the refugees are, are running from this horror but uh, when I was talking to Joseph later on in the 80s, when I met him, he always said that a good painting has to come from the heart. Mm. It comes from the heart through the observant eye and, and it comes out through the sympathetic hand. So those three things are, are one motion, really. But unless the heart is there, I think Chagall said something the same. You know, a good work comes from the heart. If the heart isn't in the work, then it's it lacks something. It isn't successful. Before so, yeah. I move on quickly, there's a lovely quote from John Berger, the Marxist art critic. He said about Joseph, he was one of my teachers. From him, I learned about exile, endurance, courage, and respect and love for those who have been described as the salt of the earth. It was, I, it was me who actually got that quote from John. That's ridiculous. Um, oh, I, I love John Berger's work. Uh, I do too. Mm. And he was he was very critical of Joe, but he was very um, on Joe's side. He was very admiring as well as being critical. Mm. And I, I saw John Berger in a, a lecture in Paris. And so when the foundation uh, was really on its feet, I wrote to him mm. and uh, I told him what we were trying to do with the foundation in Nostraganlas. And he wrote a delightful letter back. And I said, can I use any of your quotes from your books? And he said, yes, anything, use anything. Um, but this in particular, and that's the quote that you just quoted. That's amazing. He sent that, yes. Yeah, that's how he felt strongly about it. Yeah, for the foundation to use. And it's, it's very true. So this, you know, I think Joe would have... I don't know whether, whether they would be as happy and as um, fulfilled in Astragandas if there hadn't been that coterie of intelligentsia, you know, people who read and were interested and enthusiastic about art and paintings and sculptures. Exactly. I think but, that's why um, it, was in, it was important to bring your grandfather as part of that story. Because I think it's it's taken for granted, or we just assumed, you know, the miners in the valleys, but there's actually this whole intelligentsia within that, and people from London yes. travelling to the valleys to come and have those political debates. And Cedric yes, that's Martin, right. The artist from Swansea who yes. went to London and came back 
to Daolice many times during the 30s for those debates. And also talking about colour as well, I think it's really interesting how Joseph's art is written about and it's it kind of exaggerated because whilst we've said those colours are expressive of, of emotion, it's an intuitive and not exaggerated process. Because when I did my own research on Heinz Koppel and on his painting Lover's Lane, I went to the location of where that's painted and I thought the hills that were painted red and orange was exaggerated, but I got there. And luckily it was autumn. So I saw that those trees, in fact, go that colour during the season. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's brilliant. And same with Joseph's painting, because there's these red glows and oranges in the skies. But actually, that's how it may have looked with the heavy industrial. It was true, because even as a child in the 50s, I was... Um, you know, we've got to play in the garden and you can see right down the valley, it's a glacial valley. So the sides of the valley are very steep and the bottom is flat and you can see down to Swansea. And it's always that amber golden light over the, over this, over the sea Mm. that is a visual thing. And, and that also is the, because it rained, Joe said it always rained, but did it have a very fine rain, which we call <laughs> Glaumann, we call it. Mm. Um, but it colours the, the slate roofs that were all over the village, obviously. Um, Welsh slate, which has a beautiful bluish tint. And when it, the, the, the rain's been on it, it turns sort of purpley mm. and then shines. And Joe said there was always like a halo around around the buildings and around the trees because really it was the wetness and the damp and of course the halo is very important to him in his um his putting on that very strong terracotta color first and then building his painting on top of it so that it would show through mm. because that iconic visual sense of the icon of the light around the head mm. was very important to him was that influenced by Eastern Orthodox icons? Yes, he was interested in, in became very interested in icons. Um, and it's it's sort of as a religious symbol too, as, as well as the, the light around the head. Mm. The halo itself is, is religious. Mm. And Joe was very clear that he did want to have that religiosity. It's not to do with a particular religion, but it's to do that spiritual sense Mm. in a painting so that people would stop and be sort of awed by the image so that they would have to stay with the image. Not as a lot of people do and pass through galleries now and spend (laughs) a second on every painting, but Mm. to have to stop because it pulls you in. Uh, I think Clough had the same with his photography you know the distance and the light was always important mm. so, um, yes but, uh, but my Elizabeth didn't start painting till um, my sister Wendy and I left for, for university and I was up in London acting and she phoned me and she had actually put six paintings into a carrier bag and came up and went to Roland Browse it was then Browse and Derby uh, that was Joe's original gallery in Cork Street, and showed them there. And they said, well, it's obviously naive, primitive work. Go around the corner to the Portal Gallery mm. and um, see Eric Lister there, and he'll I'm sure he'll like them. And he did. So on the phone, she said, well, I don't know if they like them. I said, well, they must have, did they? And she said, well, they want me to do 30 for an exhibition. 
So I oh, that's good. <laughs> Bond Street in one go. Yes. So um, yeah, she was with them a long time. Um, mm. And her work is purely documentary. It's of the valleys, the choirs, the mm. the colliers' carnivals. Was she still living in the valleys when she was painting? Yes, yes, we've always lived here. You know, it's the, and they are, they are very documentary. They are, you know, the policeman is very large, much larger than anybody else on the cross. Yeah, she, she grew up with Joseph being there, of course. And she said he was so sensitive to, oh, I think just to people really and, and vibration. Mm. He knew when she was pregnant before she, she almost did. Wow. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And Catriona said, don't use that word to Betty. No, Catriona yeah. was quite, quite the lady. But yeah. uh, Joseph was very earthy and very solid. But, but um, I think, um, yeah, talking about sensitive to people, that really comes through in your mother's paintings. Yes, she was with the portal for a long time. And then she was with Lucy B. Campbell. And then I took her paintings to the Albany in Cardiff. Mm. And she was very successful there. Yeah, I, I love her one. Man. It's the humour in her paintings, too, that Eric Lister loved. Yeah. Um, it's the sort of fantasy mm. uh, humour. She had that that gift in her. And that was all emotional. And my father was an architect. And he said, that man will never get into that door. And she said, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Important is that he was, you know, a figure in the, in the village. Yeah, um, it was the um, emotional reasoning. Yes, well, exactly. Logical. <laughs> But um, I went to New York to live in 79 mm -hmm. uh, to get away from Maggie Thatcher, really. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's good. I was tempted to do the same with Boris Johnson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, when I came back, I was determined to see Joseph Yeah. Uh, and meet him again because I'd sat on his lap when I was two and he'd tell us stories, Wendy and I, stories. He was so, so good with children. Yet naturally loving. Anyway, I went to Browse and Derby and I stood in front of a painting called Evening Astragunnus. And I thought, I know this place. Mm. <laughs> and uh, the assistant came up and she said, oh, you must like the painting. You've been standing there a while. Uh, it's in Poland. He was Polish, you know. <laughs> I said, yes, I do know. <laughs> and um, I said, but it's not Poland. It's Astragunnus in Wales. She got talking, and I think it was Browse, I uh, can't remember his first name, but he came in, he was fascinated, and he obviously knew I was legitimate because he gave me Joseph's number, mm. and I just phoned, and I said, I'm Cleo Morgan's granddaughter, and he said, come tomorrow at tea. <laughs> yeah. That's all he said. And when he opened the door, of course, he looked exactly as I remembered him. He, mm. You know, brown corduroys all spattered with paint yeah. and a white overall and a red kerchief, always the red kerchief around his neck. Mm -hmm. And um, Yeah, he, he kept grounded. Yes, very much. And the doors were painted red, mm. being socialist. Mm. Um, <laughs> and we had lovely times. We had really lovely times in the studio and we'd go out to lunch. And Nini was there, his lovely wife, and he would just recite reams and reams of Shakespeare. And it put me to shame, really. His love of poetry and Wordsworth, especially mm. the Romantics. He said, all great art is romantic at source. And I think 
with Clem's photographs and my mother's paintings. It's, it's the same as that romance. It's more to do with feeling and emotion than form. You know, the emotion is there first. Mm. Uh, the connection is there first. And then the form comes afterwards. But every time I spoke of Astrid, of course, he wanted to talk about how it had changed and what had happened there. And his eyes would mist over. You know, he was... He was very much in love with Astragonus. And when he left, he said, I took it with me. It was really that was, lovely. That was beautiful. Mm, um, definitely. So, and he, he only lived there, well, he lived there 11 years. But... 11 years, yes. He yeah. would, I don't think he'd have moved except for his health was, mm. was, was not good. And he kept having recurring bouts of uh, bronchitis because the damp mm. air and the doctor advised him. That's when he started making his trips to Spain and France and uh, later Greece. But no, those days in Edith Road were, were beautiful. And mm. that's when I started collecting his work, his drawings. Mm. He said, always buy when you can't afford it. <laughs> I love that. Good advice. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. It means you really uh, are careful what you buy. Mm. And then when you, you've bought it, it, it means an awful lot to you because mm. you've, you've sacrificed something for it. But it's that, it's that culture, going back to Peg and Dave, when my grandmother used to go over and see a very uh, very old mat on the floor, and she said, Peg, you really need a new floor mat. Oh, yes, we do. We're going to Swansea on Saturday. We'll get one. And my mother, grandmother would go over the following week, and she said, where is it? <laughs> and Peg would point to a, a row of books that they'd bought <laughs> instead of the, of the floor mat. Yeah. <laughs> That's atmosphere of of closeness and community I don't know how to, how best to explain it except that I think it's still there in Ostrogonus mm. it's Ostrogonus is at the head of the valley and it's sort of in a cul-de-sac and because it's the last mining valley really uh, except from the Almond Valley of the South Wales valleys it's got that mixture of as I said of farming and the mining community and memories persist, don't they, very, very closely. And you absorb the atmosphere that's around you as a child. Mm. It just stayed with me. My mother wrote two books. Well, I persuaded her to write two books of her. So when she had her exhibition, Tom Mashlove, Jonathan Cape came to see the work. Mm -hmm. And he persuaded her to write stories around the around the paintings which she yeah. did. Which paintings did she write them around? Oh, all of them really. Her grandfather's funeral where the whole choir would turn up mm. uh, outside the house and sing beautiful, beautiful hymns. Yeah. And there were women outside behind the, um, they would carry the coffin down to the cross because it was quite a, quite a steep hill there. And there were women behind the, the cortege, as they call it, weeping. And we didn't know these women, or my grandmother didn't know them, but they were sort of professional weepers, and they would go to every funeral and walk behind. Oh. It's a very Russian thing, too. So it's a very ancient peasant thing, I think. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard of that. It's interesting, because that's, yeah, that's kind of almost folky, like you said, an ancient peasant tradition. <laughs> and, yes. Um, and your, your mother's paintings are in the naive tradition, Yes, Which stems from folk. folk yes, it does. Yes, and you mentioned Heinz Koppel, mm -hmm. and it was that narrative behind a painting. When you look at it, I, I don't know. I'm very interested in 
artists as much as their art and the mm. same in literature I'm more interested in D.H. Lawrence as a figure than mm. his books mm. um, or as interested but Heinz Koppel, Martin Block who came to Ostrogunnus actually he's done a few paintings of Ostrogunnus just they have a, an earthiness and solidity mm. a good friend of Joseph's was David Bomberg yeah who, uh, when I was having tea with Joe one day, he said, I tried so hard to buy a painting of David's, my friend David's, but he wouldn't he wouldn't let me because he considered it charity. So Joe had to creep over to David Bomberg's house and, mm-hmm. and give £10 to his wife. And then he took the painting away. But <laughs> David, when he found out, went racing over to the studio and said, I want it back. Here's wow. your £10. <laughs> but it was because Joseph had been fortunate in a way to find Browse and Del Banco so early mm, in his yeah. career in the 40s. And his first exhibition there in Cork Street, David Bomberg came along and he said, I'm glad, Joseph, you seem to have found a marketplace for your art. Mm. There's all the red stickers inside. Mm. But the art world is strange because when David Bomberg died, his colours are amazing. He's a wonderful colourist. When he died, his wife had about 500 paintings and she wanted to gift them to the Tate and they just weren't interested. Ten years later, they're in the thousands. I can't believe it because now you walk into the Tate. I think at one of the end of the British art rooms is the big David Bomberg. Yes, yes, exactly. It's sad. It's very sad. Mm -hmm. You know, you just look at Van Gogh's life and um, it's the same. But I mean, it's not so much the fault of the art world, I don't know. Mm. Um, these days with auctioneers, it's to do with the public, isn't it? It's the mm. public, what the public want and what their education tells them is perhaps desirable art or whether they buy for an investment, it's difficult. When the foundation was set up, that was an exciting time because it meant that we could gather all the knowledge we had of Joseph together was mine and Betty Ray's and Ansarokas, who were all local to Astrogunners. And then Nini was very generous and, and gave us a huge collection mm-hmm. of lithographs and drawings for our archive. Yeah. And now David, David Herman is so generous and interested and wants to be involved in everything. It's, it's marvellous, really. Mm. It really we, is. And I think it's yeah. great that it's in the welfare hall. Yes, exactly. That's that's where it should be, yes, because that's where Joe went. And that's the right home for it anyway, because of his love of of Astrogunnus and everything about it. Mm. And, um, you know, it's just grown. We now, we we work with children in schools, quite a few counties in Wales. When I was eight years old, I I attended one of them at my primary. Yeah, with the artist Sarah Hopkins and... When I, I yeah, and when I got the job, I f- went through the archives to look for research and I found my old print. <laughs> oh, brilliant. And I really remembered that workshop because yes. I don't know, it was just a brilliant opportunity to be working with an artist and it was silkscreen printing, which I haven't even had the opportunity to do since. Yes. So it was, you know, you really do foster a wider participation in the arts. Of course, yes. Yeah. I never forget to it because we usually entertain the children when they come to the exhibition in the welfare. Mm. And one little boy, I think it's about seven or eight, 
I said, what did you think of, of Joseph Herman and his work? He said, that man was amazing. I want to be that man. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, lovely. Um, and now we do a lot with human rights, of course, and um, widen our scope. Mm-hmm. Um, so long as it continue. Yeah, you're, you're doing really good work with Syrian refugees living in Astragan Lice. Yes, we are. And yes. I love that you're using Joseph Herman's story to do that because yes. I became interested in Heinz Koppel because it was the time of Brexit and when everything was becoming divisive. And yes. instead I wanted to look at an emigre artist and show what they do contribute to our culture. Exactly, because they, they do bring a richness all the Belgian refugees that came in the First World War and then the German Jewish children who came in the Second World War. And it's, it's just so rich for mm. the, for the uh, environment. It's beautiful. But, you know, it's onward and upward with the foundation because we just did something for um, Holocaust Memorial Day, which was rather beautiful with a young girl playing the violin mm-hmm. and a boy reading Anne Frank's story. It's just... It's, it's glorious. It's wonderful. And a lovely use of Welsh language in that video. Yes. So to finish, what is Welsh art to you, Carol? Welsh art? Well, that's a very difficult one because in a big... <laughs> unless, unless it's a, you know, a painting of Cader Idris or Snowden, you can't, <laughs> you know, it's, that's Welsh art, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But um, no, there's so many diverse styles now. Mm. And um which is partly due to me because I was teaching art. So there are so many artists now. (laughs) But what's important is the depth. And I think it's something to do with integrity. Mm. I'm Mm. a great one for integrity. Mm. And it's that immediate. I think artists who don't paint what they've experienced are lacking in something. If you go out to a landscape and you do a painting of it, then you have connected with it. But artists that are, you know, we've got so many Welsh cottages now that are white in front of black skies and <laughs> it's getting very graphic, which is, you know, it's my style because I did graphics in college. Mm-hmm. But and my paintings are light and decorative and glamorous because that's the, that's the life I lived in the 70s and 80s and yeah. in California, etc. So but integrity is so important that it feeds into the painting, doesn't it? Definitely. So you can recognize that this artist knows about his subject. He's experienced it. And the value of the painting then is increased because you know that the artist actually was there or knew that person. It's it's a very important thing, I think, Mm. which divides the wheat from the chaff, as it were. (laughs) yeah <laughs> thank you so much that's been really I've enjoyed it really fantastic thank you Rosie <laughs> <laughs>